Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Hees, and we are here to become better Habitat managers. Guys, I am in the temporary podcast studio, aka the rental car, here with the family, getting this episode launched for you this week. We have another great one for you here tonight. We have Jesse Knox. Jesse is a returning guest. He was on 117, I believe, was the first episode he was on with us, and he's just an awesome guest. He's a good guy. He's a Habitat nut like the rest of us, Habitat manager, and he's part of the Habitat podcast land manager team. So this is a team that we assembled for our land plan services to get out there and cover more ground, be able to get boots on the ground in more places uh, for our clients and for the listeners who want help with their habitat management. So what we're going into tonight, similar to what we did with Phil Holcomb a few weeks ago, we're just talking habitat with Jesse. We're seeing you know, what his specialties are when it comes to habitat management. Jesse does a lot of work with prairie and native grasses. Uh, we talk about some recent projects that he's working on. He's taken out a bunch of cedars on his home farm. Uh, we talk about kind of his view on habitat management, what makes him tick, you know, so it's pretty cool. He is in southern Iowa, so if there's anybody within, you know, that radius, that part of the world, you know, Jesse is our go-to guy and very knowledgeable. He'll be visiting um, one of our clients out there soon, uh, and I think it's in about a week and a half, Jesse will be out there, so we're getting this team going for the HP land managers. We want to have everybody on. Let you guys hear them. Let you guys form your judgments and, uh, you know, pick which one works best for you and your area and your needs, you know, and your goals. So here we are with uh, Jesse Knox and the HP land management team. Now, before we get that, I want to thank the listeners for everything you guys have been doing. The reviews on iTunes are awesome. The shares on Facebook are great. Liking and following our YouTube and subscribing is huge. We couldn't thank you enough for that. So, Thank you very much. We are giving away a Habitat hook, the aluminum model 
$250 giveaway. I'm buying it, giving it away to one lucky listener. To get entered in this giveaway, you need to go to HabitatPodcast.com and submit your email address. It's right there on the homepage, Habitat Hook Giveaway. All we're asking for is your email address, and you'll be entered in to win an fully extendable aluminum Habitat Hook. This thing is awesome. Go check it out at HabitatHook.com. You'll know what I'm talking about. And uh, you can also just email me, info at HabitatPodcast.com, if you wanted to shoot me your email address and just put Habitat Hook in the subject line. That'll work too. So we're building a list of our Habitat managers, and we're giving away an awesome Habitat Hook. So thank you to all those who are joining. I also like to formally announce we are now live on Waypoint TV. So Waypoint TV is a website. It's an app that can be on your phone, your Roku, your Amazon Fire Stick, or your website browser, your TV, your smart TV, whatever you want, wherever you can find Waypoint TV, check it out. They stream hunting and fishing all day, every day. They have uh, shows with Michael Waddell on there. They have some awesome fishing shows. They have a podcast network as well. That's where you're going to find Habitat Podcast up at Waypoint TV. So we're officially live with them as of three days ago. Check us out, waypointtv.com. Go check out the great website there and great content for free for all you guys all the time. Now, I want to talk also about Morse Nursery. So we are getting all of our dealer orders in with Frank at Morse right now. So we're going to start shipping in you know, late March to mid-April, and we're going to have all the orders in prior to then. So if you've been thinking about ordering, getting some special dealer pricing through us for your Morse Nursery trees or shrubs slash survival kits, let us know right away. Um, Certain items can run out, and we want to make sure you get what you need ahead of time, not, you know, come April, we decide to think about it then. We're trying to, you know, get ahead of the game here. So if you're interested in ordering anything from Morse and you want to help the podcast out and go through our dealer network, hit us up, info at habitatpodcast.com. Be happy to help get some more orders placed with Frank. And uh, guys, it's been great so far. We have a lot of customers that are using the dealer through HP Habitat Podcast, and we appreciate it. So again, if you're interested in Morse nursery trees or shrubs prior to spring, let's get your order in now and make sure your stock is reserved. I want to thank Packer Max Cult of Packers, the Habitat Hook, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Exodus Trail Cameras, Afflictor Broadheads, and like I said, Morse Nursery. All right, another great episode coming for you next week. We have our friend Hunter from Arkansas. Awesome conversation coming up as well. So stay tuned next week, guys. We'll be back with another great episode as we become better habitat managers. Let's get into it with Jesse Knox. All right, guys, back here, Jesse Knox and Brian Hallbly. Another episode of the Habitat Podcast. How are you guys doing? Doing well. I'm doing fantastic. I got this Guinness here, so I'm pretty happy. <laughs> How come you drink beer during our podcast, but drink energy drinks during your podcast? I mean, I'm since six, so and I had a, work was interesting today, so uh, I was like, I don't, I really try to avoid these stupid things, but I was just like, I'm, I was falling asleep just watching my kid i'm like okay i'm gonna be a good 
host. I need to be awake. So I'll, you know, poison my body for you guys. That's how much I care about you guys. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate it. We just got done recording a show on your podcast, Beast of Burden podcast. Um, thanks for having us on. Yeah, it was a true pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Of course. If anybody wants to check Jesse's podcast out, please do. It's Beast of Burden podcast. Um, episode before Habitat podcast 117, where we really, we really dove deep into who you are then. Let's just give a quick recap in case people haven't listened to 117 yet. So real quick, uh, my name's Jesse Knox. I'm originally from Michigan, but we moved to Iowa, Southeast Iowa, 2004. My dad was Paul Knox, AKA Doubletree, who is really well known on iowatel.com and the QDMA forums, Michigan sportsman and outdoor uh, outreach outdoors. And uh, he was a habitat manager and I grew up hunting, fishing, trapping with my dad and habitat management. He had his own business in uh, habitat management. I helped him on the side. And then he was unfortunately diagnosed ALS. I took over for him in 2013 and he passed away and I ran his business for a few years. I took a step back and because um, uh, just maturity and trying to grow up and just learn about life. And uh, now um, I have a full-time job in a different field, but I'm slowly getting back into habitat management. Uh, it's called Doubletree Habitat Enhancement, in case you're wondering. Uh, we do food plots, timber management, prairie establishment. We do also consultations with the um, Habitat podcast and uh, there's some other miscellaneous things we do. So that, in a nutshell, that's who I am, what I do. Awesome. Well done. And, um, you know, after, after a few years of Brian and I doing our Habitat podcast land plans, we thought maybe we should branch out and make a team where we can cover some more ground, get some more boots on the ground uh, in different areas. And, um, you were one of the guys we called. So glad to have you on the team, Jesse. Thanks for that that quick bio. Again, 117, guys, episode 117. If you haven't listened to that, go back and we hear all about Jesse, his dad, Paul Knox, and all kinds of habitat wisdom. Um, but Brian and I have been doing these land plans. We have kind of what we focus on. We have our specialties, right? We like deer. We like improving habitat. Um, for everything else that comes along with that, um, butterflies, pollinators, all that stuff. But you have your own specialty and what you like to do and the equipment you use and the area of the world that you do it in. Um, I guess I want to get you on here tonight to chat and, and kind of understand maybe philosophically, what do you like about habitat management? Why do you do this? And then maybe Brian and I will have some questions to kind of, you know, Learn, unpeel the onion of Jesse Knox. <laughs> it's a small onion and I stink real bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Habitat Management to me, I'm really, I, I try to stay close to the land because um, that's where we're from. You know, it, this is God's earth and we're here to serve and take care of it. It's a very precious gift. And if you really think about where we're at in the universe, I mean, we're in this really rare Goldilocks zone. It, you know, we're just too far to the sun will burn up a little too far away. will just be an ice ball. And so it's really a precious gift that we've been blessed with. And I think it's extremely important that we need to take care of it. And part of taking care of it is managing the wildlife and the land that you're, you're on. And especially what a cool gift to be in North America where conservation is such a, it's one of the leading places of conservation with Leo Aldo Leopold and Teddy Roosevelt and so many others. It's a really cool heritage that we have. And I'm really grateful that the, the founding fathers and mothers of conservation took it seriously. I mean, you look at Europe, they're slowly catching up. I've seen some uh, 
rewilding projects in Britain. They're bringing back beavers, I think wolves, I, maybe some kind of European bison. And that, that's very exciting. But you know, we've been at this for over a hundred years and they're slowly understanding, you know, and other places of the world, they don't value wildlife. And it's sad. They're really missing out huge opportunities. So, and part of it also, it's kind of a family tradition, obviously my dad, but I believe it was his um, uh, great stepdad. He was a tree, he had a tree farm and he taught my dad basic conservation. And it meant a lot to my dad and it means a lot to me. And, uh, <clears throat> I, you know, the first time I planted a tree is eight years old. And knowing that one day this tree, hopefully it survived the deer and rabbits. And one day that tree will be there. And it's going to be a benefit to somebody. <clears throat> and uh, also I'm really interested in natural history and history in general and learning about the different biomes, how they were. Like, for example, where I'm at, I would say from Southwestern Michigan, clear down to Arkansas, clear to Southern Minnesota to Arkansas is um, oak savanna habitat, which some I'm really interested in. That was the original biome. And if people don't know what oak savanna is, imagine uh, the savannas of Africa. You have wide, short trunks of trees, wide canopy, and you have short grasses with shrubs and forbs scattered around. It's perfect to me, early successional habitat. And so, many, so much wildlife benefits early successional habitat. And I want to get back to that. Uh, recently, I found that the South was predominantly grasslands, like native prairie, southeastern grasslands, and pines in it. And uh, it was interesting. I was listening to a gentleman from, I forget university, but he said uh, back in the day when people tried to go down and document what this terrain looked like, you get a lot of, you're off my property, boy. You know, those guys do not want anyone near their <laughs> land. And it's like, it's true. And I don't mean to, uh, degrade anybody, but that's what happened. So we don't know a lot about Southern natural history. And it, it seems like if you can get closer to back what it was meant to be, the wildlife which adapted for, if you think about how short of a time we've been here and what North America was really like before we got here, our wildlife adapted that biome, especially Oak Savannah habitat, Iowa, throughout the Midwest, the native prairie uh, land, and also Eastern timber back where you guys are at. That's where wildlife is adapted to. And if you think about it, We've only been here for a couple hundred years and really you guys, 400 years, right? So we have all these grains, massive agricultural fields. I think our wildlife could easily go back to forbs and uh, native uh, timber plants and whatnot and forget about the corn, forget about the beans, you know? So if we can stay closer to that, we'll be better off in the long run. So that, that's really why I love habitat management is to get back to that. But also I love to hunt and it is a bonus to have like quail, grouse back east or up north, turkeys, bobcats even, healthy populations of fur bears and deer. I mean, it is a great bonus, but honestly, I'm just excited to see quail on my property again. I'm excited to see more waterfowl show up in certain places, you know. Um, it, it's just cool to see them come back, you know, and sometimes it feels like wildlife does not get the appreciation it deserves. You know, so many people look at it as a pest, especially in agricultural Iowa, I've heard so many farmers say deer, there's rancher antlers. I'm like, well, you know, kind of, but they're not, you know, they have a purpose. And to me, God created these animals for a reason. Obviously he had a plan for them. So they should probably stay here. So I like to aim for that goal to keep them here. So that's what, why I care about habitat management and what it means to me, I guess. Yeah. Well said. I think Brian said it kind of similarly in, in your podcast about, you know, listening to what the land is telling us to do. Um, right, Brian, you were kind of going down that train or down that road. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's interesting. 
I appreciate that take that you put on it, Jesse. It uh, really made me think about a lot of things. Um, that's that's a really interesting point about, you know, the earth that we're blessed with. And uh, I never really thought about it that way. And sometimes I get a little bit nutty. I watch some of these documentaries about uh, space and they're talking about putting somebody on Mars this decade. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's like, yeah, but uh, we're, we're really blessed with, with the, the uh, land that we're entrusted with. And especially during COVID now too, you talk about people not appreciating wildlife and just being outdoors in general, everybody's just stuck inside and everybody's on their phones. I mean, I'm just as guilty as anybody else, but uh, yeah, it, it's super important. And, um, I was sort of like the first group of parents through this whole thing for the last mm -hmm. 20 years, raising my children through this change, because growing up, you couldn't keep us inside. <laughs> I mean, we'd, we'd get up, have breakfast and we'd be gone until our mother started yelling it was time for dinner. And then even then we wouldn't even come back, but yeah, yeah I, I think that's, that's a fantastic point that you brought up about all those topics and uh, something that everybody should think about and try to prioritize in their life. Absolutely. Yeah. And I do appreciate earlier, Brian, you saying to pay attention to your land. Cause I, you know, real quick. So I came across your guys' show a year ago and also um, the deer hunter project with Eric and Cody and the one thing I was really disappointed with, people are talking about mineral stumps. And mineral stumps are great. There's a lot of great nutrients. I'm so glad Mississippi Deer Labs published that information. But I'm like, guys, where have you been at? I mean, you cut a tree in the woods, you see the new browse come up, the deer go gaga. I mean, to me, I've seen that for years. And I don't, and people are going nuts. They're treating this, this natural thing as a fad. I'm like, no, 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 no. And that's a bad thing we do in this industry. We treat things as fads a lot. And it just, it, it really bothers me that people were not, paying attention, observing what was going on in their own property, especially seeing that such a common thing to see. And uh, I, I really advocate people pay attention, ask questions. What is that plant? What's it do? Do the deer like it? Does it benefit turkey or quail? Because it is a huge benefit. Again, like I said earlier, God made these things for a reason. They're supposed to be here. So you have a monoculture of like my thing I talk about a lot, cedars or black locusts or coral berry, nothing wrong with coral berry, but if a monoculture, you should address it. And you should find some way to see if you can bring back some more diversity, more diverse forbs and plants and stuff like that. So I really appreciate you saying that pay attention because we, we have to pay attention more to what we have. Yeah. And another point, uh, our friend, Eric Long always talks about things going away on yeah. our watch and we're not paying enough attention to that. Right. We talk about the grouse, the grouse and, yes. and yep. uh, you know, we, we've had the bee and butterfly people on all the issues we know with the with the bees and the butterfly habitat it's um i don't want that on my conscience i don't want to leave that for my children so, right i mean exactly. it's, it's something that we've got to we got to make a change for sure well, I saw well, Brian, that's interesting you say that brian you know the the um campaign that those guys were putting together for the grouse right yep um yep. eric and eric and cody <clears throat> they reached out to a ton of different people to you know help have them on their show and, and kind of help spread the word um and didn't get a lot of a lot of feedback from anybody i think we were the only people that had them on the show from what i heard which was surprised the heck out of me um you know and and, and we don't even talk about grouse that much we just talk about bettering the habitat for yep. all wildlife but it was interesting to me how, how the whole not let it happen on your watch thing um we're not here for that long and, and not a lot of people are paying attention anymore 
you know, so. It's a little unfair. We don't live very long. A hundred years is, you get some guys getting incapacitated within 70, 80 years, maybe sooner. And it's like, it's too short. We need more time to get this stuff done, you know? And, and not to get on this rabbit hole, but how is it that in this age of social quote unquote programs <laughs> and, and social awakenings that have people become more selfish? Yeah. It's like, we're going backwards. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to be careful my own show because it's so easy to see narcissism pop up more on social media. And it was really weird for me to do my podcast and even post on Instagram because I don't really like talk about myself. I don't like, um, I, I don't think I want to have to say is that important, but I do like talking about Habitat and started to navigate more like, hey, this is what we're doing. What are you guys doing? Kind of attitude. I think it attracts more people because you just want to have conversation and just share like uh, there's a gentleman I, I follow and he's kind of become my buddy. I don't know his last name is Mike. His, his Instagram handle is PA uh, dot plotters. He's a great guy. And I can see on his page, what he's doing with all his habitat stuff, trying to fight. I think it's Japanese silk grass and he's doing no-till. He planted prairie for the first time in his farm in PA. He's a really cool guy. And just to have the interaction, learn from each other is what really matters. It doesn't matter how special you think you are. Mom, your mom and God might think you're special, but you're not that special. So <laughs> Yeah, no, we uh, we follow him as well, um, and and that's why the the podcast is my my favorite thing about this. And, and what you mentioned, we record on your show was uh, just people you meet through the, uh, this whole thing. At least in the whole world gone crazy, we can stay in our little habitat world and and then talk to nerds just like us and <laughs> and and be on the same team about something these days. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. So. You deal with a lot of, well, Oak Savannah, you say, is prominent in, in your area. Oak Savannah is like my favorite type of habitat. Um, I tried to make my last, uh, my eight acre woods at the 15 acres at uh, Oak Savannah. It's kind of a swamp too, so kind of a hybrid, but um, that's my favorite type. And you do a lot of prairie, um, you run a large drill. Let's talk about kind of what you're specialty is if you want to call it that or maybe just what you do the most of because it's where you're at and, and what the need is around there let's talk about just kind of what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis for the most part okay well day-to-day -day basis really is my nine-to-five job but you want to talk about that uh <laughs> but when it comes to actual habitat work um i've done a lot of it like i've done tsi edge feathering prairie establishment mostly for crp lots of food plots i put in for, i don't know god maybe you know 500 to 800 acres of food plots over my lifetime, you know? Nice. And um, so I'm going to get the, the most common stuff out of the way, you know, food plots I enjoy doing, and uh, I don't do a lot commercially. Uh, mainly I burn myself out when you don't charge enough, everyone wants you. And then you end up burning your equipment out. And I'm kind of slowly recovering from that. And I do charge a lot higher. I, I had a show uh, my last episode, I talked about what I do and some prices because I didn't realize who was listening and I, I'm realizing more people listen. Than I realized. And so if there's a local, someone who's local is interested I list that stuff off. But I didn't list my food plot prices because it is relatively high and you have to, because you have a lot so of overhead. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, going back and forth, having truck trailer, I'm trying to get my CDL. I have a, you know, a broadcaster tiller, cultivulture, the drill. It's like still making payments on the drill. And it's like, you got to make money and liability insurance and just insurance itself. And my tractors cost me money just sitting in the shop insurance, you know, so you got to make income off of it. But 
Um, I take care of my own food plots and other gentlemen's. I've done a few custom food plots, simply just drilling like rye and wheat. Um, you know, I've done brassicas, sorghum, soybeans, um, my dad's grain mix, um, which is like crick grain mix, um, Egyptian wheat, done a lot of that stuff. And I enjoy doing it, but um, I'm slowly getting more, I'm trying to break from that mold of tillage. And uh, it's easy to do because you plan to do no-till, you have plants to do no-till, but then you get 20 inches of rain or you get a four month log drought. And it's like, well, who wants to hire me to do food plots? You know, no one wants my money into it, you know? So it's, it gets really, and where I'm at, I'm gonna get off the food plot thing real quick, but we've had agricultural specialists come and say, you guys live somewhere very agriculturally challenged, which means no, this place sucks. It's either too wet or too dry. And we're always the opposite. Okay. It, it's probably warmer Minnesota than it is here right now. <laughs> Cause like everywhere else is getting snow in most fall and winter we had in the fifties and sixties. And we had one day in December, 72 degrees and everywhere else is freezing their asses off. And I'm like, what is this place? You know? So food plots can get really weird where I'm at successful. Yes. But they get kind of weird, but uh, I've done a lot of that. And I, I like, I I'm really liking, we might talk earlier, Albert uh, to, to Jimco. Is that right? Dimechico. Dimechico. Dimechico, man. Um, I haven't spent, I missed back home, back East. There's more Polish names. You get used to saying them. Where I'm at, it's all Schmidt, Smith and Adam. So anyway, um, but yeah, I, I like what he's doing, showing that the more diverse food plot mixes you have, the better soil you have. And fertilizer's gone through the roof. And I'm like, you know, so I'm like, my, my client, like, hey man, we might want to try your no fertilizer. Because I've noticed using fertilizer, my soils have gotten super tight over the years, you know, they haven't put too much on. We've always put heavies. We have poor soils. Um, and it, it does add up after a while. And also Jesse, walk us through that real quick. When you talk about your soil being too tight, I'm okay. sure a lot of our listeners might not good. be familiar with that. Good question. Sure. Good Thank question. you, Brian. Um, so where I'm at, we have a lot of what we call white oak clay soil, which means white oak trees do the best on it. So normally it's clay and it gets tight and I can go down the whole soil road. I'll try to avoid it because it's addicting to talk about, but pretty much you can get a lot of rain and it'll absorb some, but then too much rain, it starts to run off and then it turns to concrete because the rain will pound it so hard, it just gets hard. And then it gets gotcha. dry, it turns to concrete. You can't, it just, it doesn't hold moisture. So, and again, two type, two things happen in our area. So one, our biggest lime quarry in the state is just a few miles away and their calcium, or not calcium, their lime tests very high in magnesium. And a lot of lime cores have this problem. And magnesium is critical for more looser soils, but it makes your soil tighter. So you have farmers putting on, and food plot guys, literally 2,000 pounds or a ton of lime to adjust their pH, but they're then throwing down tons of magnesium, which then makes soil tighter. While we're in clay soil, our soil is already tight. So the one critical element that we really need in your soils, and I think all soils across the country, um, is calcium. And I use one product called SuperCal 98G. I'm not a dealer. I just use it. It's only, I put on roughly um, 600 pounds a year, which is 12 bags per acre. It's like a hundred bucks, pretty decent return, but it's like 90% calcium and some percent magnesium. And calcium is really critical because it will open up your soils more. It loosens them up. But also there's a positive ion exchange for the root system. So when calcium comes in contact, it then draws in more of these other positive ions like your phosphorus, potassium, zinc, all those critical micronutrients and macronutrients. And so it's a really critical thing to have in your soil. If you don't have enough calcium, and by the way, I had Albert on my show earlier. We talked about uh, CAC, which I learned a lot from him. You can go check that episode. I forget the episode. His name's in the episode title. And he's been on your show a couple of times, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. We talked for two hours last night on soil. So oh, he's the guru. 
he's our, he's our, he's our soil guy or HP soil guy. Absolutely. Yep. You're probably the payroll man. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that was a great conversation to learn about more. I learned a lot more about how to measure calcium more accurately in your soil. So <clears throat> that's a huge issue, but also my father-in-law is organic. So I've learned a lot from him on how to take care of soil organically. I think there's a lot of benefits to doing that. And one thing people don't realize is, and some people argue tooth and nail, but it's true. Our average fertilizer you get in bags with co-op. Most of it is to help bind the fertilizer because it's too fine. They use a they use chloride to bind it. Now, chloride's already in the soil. It's a natural element that comes in. However, too much chloride can then make your soil tighter. So we have two things going against us. We have too much magnesium, and then we have too much chloride in our normal fertilizer, which, you know, my dad, if you go to uh, iowaitel.com, how to plant brassicas in his uh, Double Trees Corner page, you know, he recommended 400 pounds, 628, 28 per acre. And at the time, like, great, that's great fertility. We're really building soil up. But now I'm looking at it, I go, mm, is there too much chloride? I've been doing this for years on certain plots. And uh, it's like, oh, that might be a little too much. So now you got to go back and go, okay, I can read a soil test, sure. But then I've learned everything can screw up your pH, the moon, how much rain, if it's dry, the time of day, time of year. There's all these elements that can screw up your pH. So I can, for example, the plot I've been taking care of the longest, I first took the soil samples, it was like 6.6. I've only had for two years, I was taking care of my, like, hey, we're doing really good. Well, then I broke it down and all these different strips and it was like 5.4, 5.5, 6.0. Now, wait a minute. That, that shouldn't be right. And it makes me wonder like, okay, have we reversed the, where the pH is going? And I've always done my dad's stuff of brassicas in a strip and then his grain mix. And I rotate those strips. And that's been very beneficial because you have the brassicas, you have the taproots breaking the soil and all the great benefits in the grain mix. Yeah, I think most people know about by now, but it's also that for fertility program. So what Al's been doing and other people have shown this to be true as well through research <clears throat> is having more diverse mixes. And those diverse mixes, the key thing that Al really pointed out was, I have a hard time pronouncing these words, damn it, um, mycorrhizal activity or the fungal networks in the soil. It is so critical. Yeah. Mycorrhizal. Yes. Thank you, Jared. And because uh, yeah. that's the network. And I've been in mycology for a few years because I was trying to grow mushrooms. I did grow mushrooms and mushrooms are just a fantastic thing to talk about. But that network is like a big sponge. They help plants communicate. And it's bizarre because it's actually those plants will tell each other what they need. And it sounds too weird to be true, but there's actually like a grass in Africa. I forget the name of it. If antelopes start to eat it, they'll send a signal out to the rest of the grasses this, in this species. And it'll send a toxin out and make it bitter so the antelopes stop eating this grass. So there's a network in our amazing. soil. It is amazing. And this fungal activity is a communication thing for our, our crops and our plants and the trees and everything. So using those diverse root systems, we can build more of that microzeal activity, but also your, the plants are feeding each other. One thing I've learned, I used to use hairy vetch a lot because I, I had access, still have access to a roller crimper and it's a great tool to have. It does an amazing job, but I use hairy vetch. I love hairy vetch, but once you have it, you always have it. I don't care your roundup schedule unless you hit it before flowers out, you're going to have seed, but I've never, I've only had one time vetch took over a plot and ruined it out of, you know, got 60 acres I was managing. That was one bad experience. I'll still use it. So the years it came back, you know, I'm playing brassicas into it. And any bare spots, the hairy vetch would fill in. And obviously, since hairy vetch is producing so much nitrogen, the brassicas got bigger and more filler. It also fill in those bare spots. I didn't have the weed issue. And I've seen those plots always did better with that diversity. So 
if we can figure out how to be smart with our, with our food plot mixes and not be ridiculous about it, having a good healthy mixture of oats, rye, wheat, uh, mm, brassicas, clover, chicory, all these different things, <coughs> pardon me, in these proper amounts, I think we can have a really cool success with our food plots and attracting more wildlife because we're giving what the wildlife wants, which is just diversity and what the soil wants too. So that's something I, I wanna get more geared into for customers. And if someone wants, I just want a strict brassica mix. Hey man, I'm here to serve the customer, no problem. But if someone's like, I wanna change and try something different, maybe this fertility program isn't working. Hey, we have an idea, let's try this out. So um, very long-winded part of my, your, of my answer. Um, that I like is something it. I take passion in soil health, but I do lean more towards native prairie and timber. Because like I said earlier, for wildlife adapted to, it's really critical. So <clears throat> do you want to- what, what's, your, what's your percentage of, of native prairie and timber in your area compared to agriculture, would you say? Oh, agriculture is dominant. I mean, probably, I would say Van Buren County, which is where my farm's at, I grew up at, I would say easily maybe 70% ag, 30% timber and CRP, if you okay. really think about it. So, yep. Okay, so when you and, and your dad were getting calls to help over your lifetime of habitat management work, it was for probably not the ag side of things, the farming side of things as much as, as the other 30%, right? Yep, yep. Now, don't get me wrong, you'd have the ag side say, this field sucks than CRP, maybe one sure. of the customers, which I still, I have a lot of those kind of guys, which I'm more than happy to, you know? Yeah, you put um, in CRP for folks, right? Yep, a lot. That's mostly what I do for my custom work is CRP. That's good to know. Yep. yep. Local in your area, you know, and then what about the, um, the timber? What are you doing in there? So I haven't done it for a while. Cause I, my last timber job, I had like three close calls meeting God a little too early. And, you know, I did my last big timber job, 39 acres. And the forester told me I want everything gone except oats, oaks, oaks and walnut. I'm like everything was everything. I'm, I want to treat it too. Okay. Well, and was this the forester of, for, for timber value? Was this forester yeah. for wildlife timber? Okay. I yeah. mean, timber, the, the gentleman who owned it, uh, his dad and him, he, his farm was more in the pulp wood industry when he was a kid. And so he takes care of his timber well, but he's more geared like timber production, which is fine. I agree with that. But uh, I mean, it's pretty much like seek, kill, destroy mentality. And it was a lot of work. And uh, there are some things I agree with, like, had several nice black cherries and shag bark hickory in an area. There's no oaks. I'm calling forester like, there's no oaks here. Do you still want this gone? Yep. I want it all gone. Okay. And I did the job and it took me three months to do. And I felt like, man, I'm lazy. I'm just not pushing hard enough. And I talked to my friend, Nathan Parks, who's also a, a land manager. He does it for a living. I told him what I did. He goes, no, that's by yourself. Everything at a treat. Oh my God. Yeah. It take me three months by myself too. I'm like, oh, it's just not me. That's great. But um, <laughs> I had three calls. Yeah, it was. I mean, yeah, but uh, I had three close calls of oaks snapping about to kill me. And I'm like, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. I, this isn't worth it. But um, so I haven't done a lot with it. I've done one small TSI job for my, my father-in-law, which is strictly just girdling. He was more timber value, doesn't care about wildlife, which was fine. And I've done some edge feathering on my farm. Uh, I'm working with my new forester. I am interested in doing some more TSI contract work because I realized, hey, you don't have to cut every tree. <laughs> we don't have to use, I've been carrying around a 30 to 50 pound chainsaw for five years. And I realized, Hey, I can get a smaller saw, you know, Hey, 
we can try using hack and squirt. Okay, it's just some easier, more efficient methods than just carrying this lugging thing around me all the time, you know? Yeah, no, and I appreciate you telling that because I, as well as, as for the listeners, I'm trying to get a feel on, you know, what you like to do, what you're good at, what you have a lot of experience in, in your neck of the woods, Southern Iowa. Um, you know, we have listeners out there. Brian and I have done a plan in Iowa. Um, we get calls from that way. So it's going to be um, important to understand that, you know, what you know and like to do and what you're passionate about. So appreciate I, do you want to, I appreciate saying that. I do want to say real quick, um, when I first started, I made some mistakes in timber management. I was really aggressive hinge cutting one job. I shouldn't have done hinge cutting. It was a really small project. And I thought that's what he wanted. And I was too young and arrogant to ask more questions. And so I've learned a lot and changed how I do things. I look at timber more. The wildlife will come as long as you're in some form of timber management. And I look like I was talking, Cassie, my forester, and I said, it's a mosaic pattern. The timber, there's different parts. Timber call for different things. And I'm really grateful that she's here because she's using different programs. It's just not a blanket TSI program because some parts like my farm, I have like 15 acres I can use TSI. The remaining is like brush management and black locust harvest, which is a lot of work. So I'm like, TSI is not appropriate for monoculture, you know? So um, looking at it now, like it, it, I have a totally different mindset and um, more cautious of what I cut. And I'll be honest, I do better in smaller chunks because I get super detailed. I need to talk to you as a landowner and go, where do you want your tree stands at? What lanes do you want closed? Do you need hinge cutting? Is there an area that is a south-facing slope we could do hinge cutting there only and do traditional TSI everywhere else? So I just need good communication so I can do I that. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yep. I love it. So Jesse, for people in your area, if somebody's listening to this, they just picked up a farm. They're thinking about calling somebody because they're struggling. Oh boy. Are there any similarities of issues in the area that surround you that you've repeated that you've seen? And also on the flip side of that, is there things that people really shouldn't be worried about? Okay. <clears throat> okay. So number one thing, I think it's the same problem you guys face too much food plot orientation is one thing. There is a lot of invasives here. There's a lot of, of cedar trees. And, you know, <clears throat> talking to guys on your show, I mean, on your, on your Facebook page, there are different kinds of cedar trees. Like up north, the white cedar is really beneficial for white-tailed deer. If you use it as a browse. Down here, no. Um, you know, eastern red cedar turns to monoculture and you get moss. And uh, I've had so many local guys tell me, you cut down all your cedar trees? What are you, a dumbass? And I'm like, no. I mean, maybe, but may no. <laughs> and it's like, guys, <laughs> get down and look on a fawn's level. From a coyote's perspective, I see before I cut my place, 200 yards I could see through. So think about it. There's no cover. It's all barren branches because the light doesn't get down. Those branches die off. And a coyote can see that fawn perfectly. Deer might travel through it a lot, but it doesn't mean they're bedding in it, you know? So I would say doing more brush management, I think is really critical. And uh, more, there's a lot, there's thousands of acres in Van Buren and other neighboring counties that have not been touched with a chainsaw, except basic logging or firewood. You know, I have one farm. I was trying to get the landowner <clears throat> sign up for like a herbicide brush manager for honeysuckle. I mean, I'd, I don't know what it was. And then I finally realized what it was. And it was just solid honeysuckle intermixed my dad's hinge cutting. And uh, it was a big problem. I mean, there's no browse underneath that. So that's a huge problem. One weed we have here. Cerisa lesbidesia, it chokes out everything, even chokes out fescue. 
And uh, there's a big demand um, that people don't realize what they have to get rid of. And I have it on my farm and luckily just little patches spray with the um, remedy or escort, you'll get it. But uh, you know, there's probably a few hundred acres or more of it just actively growing that needs to be uh, uh, accounted for. And I would say <clears throat> guys, I don't have to worry about everyone's panicking about EHD all the time and CWD. We we've had a couple small outbreaks in the area. And I don't, we may have had a case in Van Buren, but I don't think we did. It was kind of maybe, but I don't think it was. And also EHD. EHD, it's here every year. Some years are really bad. Some years aren't. So for example, a normal year, if you have a stagnant pond in the timber, you're going to have the mite. They're going to, they're going to, one deer might get infected. Now have a drought, different story. You might have several deer infected, but it seems like a lot of guys are always concerned with the deer population. Do we have enough deer? Do we have enough deer? I'm like, guys, Van Buren's quota for annualists is 2,100 annualist deer every year. It's never met. Go further west, it goes up to 2,800 next three counties over. So our deer population, I wouldn't worry about. Now we start, if we actually did get a bad outbreak of CWD, then I'd be worried. But until that day comes, it's like, so far we've been blessed with a huge deer population and I wouldn't worry about it. I'd be more worried about invasive species control, timber management, and also I can rant about this, um, CRP. Guys don't know how to manage CRP. And I don't understand why. There's so much information at your local NRCS office and FSA. They have tons of pamphlets and it's super, super, super simple. I, I can talk about it. I got my good friend, Kevin Anderson, who's our private lands biologist, great resource you can talk to, how to manage CRP properly. People are not burning enough. They're not establishing enough. They're not scouting for invasives as well. And uh, one thing that bugs me a lot, you get paid pretty good CRP. There's one program right now for quail safe. Some guys are getting offered 250 bucks an acre. Okay. Wow. So to use the 10 year contract. So say average CRP is 40 acres. Okay. It's for that program alone, 10 grand. So 10 year period, you'll gross hundred thousand dollars. Now in a 40 acre job, you have two obligations to do mid contract management. So you burn it twice, you know, to touch it ever again within year four. And I believe year five. However, my issue with that is, you have every obligation to take care of it because my tax dollars, your tax dollars are paying for that program. And that program is supposed to be for soil erosion and wildlife habitat. I don't want to hear any excuses that you cannot burn your prairie because there's fire departments. There's guys like me and Nathan that have liability insurance. We can put a fire break in. And I'm like, yeah, you'll have, you have to pay us to burn and to put a fire break in unless you put the fire break in yourself. But guess what? The savings I calculated on a previous podcast, because when you do not take care of your prairie. It goes back to weeds or whatever. You are obligated if you re-enroll to seed it again. So you got to start all over again. You know, if it's really bad, sometimes you just have you intercede to see if it's good stand. No big deal. It's relatively easy. But like my place, I try to burn it every other year. And my own technician from NRCS said, you will not have to receive your CRP because it, it looks really good. Now there's a couple of fields I have a hard time getting to. I'm going to have to receive it because it's hard to get to. I wish I could get to more. I'm trying to find a solution. But the savings and hiring some to burn and the benefits of the wildlife coming back into it. I don't want to hear the complaining and whining about, I have to pay someone a thousand dollars. I'm like, dude, you're getting paid 10 grand a year. I don't want to hear it, man. Property tax is what? Couple grand, three grand. You pay, have me coming every other year, Nathan, whomever. It does, it just seems so simple. It's right there, you know, and prairie needs fire. It just, it adapted, it evolved with fire. So you take that element, you're not going to have good prairie. And also it's good marketing because guess what? Every farmer bitches and whines about 
too many weeds and CRP. It's just weeds, it's just weeds. Well, guys, if we all burn more often, we wouldn't have the weed problem. You know, the grasses would come up and even some forbs, they get thick enough, they respond well to burning. Some do better more with a light disking, sure. But there's enough, just enough grasses in the pollinator that will be a huge benefit for that planting down the road. So, you know, there, there are a lot of issues and I get time management, family obligations. I get it. It doesn't always happen, but we can at least try and at least know and educate, hey, there are things we got to work on down here and we just got to get it done. Yeah, that's a, that's a good rant. I think it'd be worth it to continue, you know, benefiting your habitat, benefiting your farm, your bank account, soil erosion. <laughs> I mean, you got to set it back every now and then, right? Keep the woody stuff out of there too. You guys run into that, the woody stuff, keep that set back too. Yeah, like I got some, I think it's more black locusts to show my CRP. I'm going to burn it this this spring. That nice. should take care of it. But um, I've been warned, I've learned it's a hard way. Black locust sucks to kill. So I think remedy and garland were some good choices. So if, it, if the fire doesn't work, we'll try doing that. But, uh, you know, I, I did two, three acres of a small quail oriented seeding a couple of years ago. And uh, I had two thistles pop up, man. I pull the seed heads. I soak those suckers with graze on They're toast the next day, you know? And I'm like, there ain't going to be no Canadian thistles in this CRP right now, but I can tell you that much. So. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. I mean, I, as you can, or as I can tell, and I'm sure the listeners, you're, you're very passionate about the subject and uh, which is why you're a great fit for the, the HP land manager team. So thank you. That my goal of this show is to get you on here, here again, like I mentioned about your techniques, your specialties, your view on habitat. Um, I say, I say it's uh, it's a good view, fits Thank right you. in line, of course. Um, if anybody wants to reach out, all they have to do is go to our land plan page, it's habitatpodcast.com slash land plans. If you scroll down that page, you can read about Jesse. You can uh, learn all about him. You can see a beautiful picture of him in a nice buck. <laughs> and it's just, you see our, our other team members on there too. So we're going to talk more about this this year. You know, um, you know Brian and I were kicking off the land plans closer to home right now, getting those going. And um, Jesse, I just want anything else you want to hit before we uh, wrap this up? Um, yeah, I would just encourage folks, you know, um, ask questions and uh, really like Brian and I talked about earlier, pay attention to your property and really think about it. Think about from the wildlife's point of view, you know, um, we're doing some cool stuff on my farm. If anyone's local, um, the one thing I'm really excited about was the brush management we did. And uh, my biologist, he's, he keeps wanting to go back and back and back. And even now he's going to take two of our foresters there in February. And I'm like, Kevin, there's nothing really growing. I don't care. I want to show them. Um, and we've already had some serious positive response. Real quick story before we wrap this up. I have two hog barns north of my farm. It's like right next door. I ain't happy they're there, but what do you do? And um, as I'm cutting these cedar trees down, I'm like, am I going to allow more of the smell on my property? Luckily, prevailing winds northwest, you don't smell it very often. But if you have a north or northeast wind, it sucks. And I thought, well, if I knock these cedar trees down, the smell might get worse. But it's worth it because we're already seeing sedge and browse stuff come up. This one forb came up called mountain mint. It's a very common form. And if you rub your fingers against the leaf, it has a minty smell to it. And this plant is so predominant. I mean, it smells like lemon and mint. It comes up so strong. And I'm sitting in my tree stand like late October. And it was north by northeast wind, 
the mint was so strong I couldn't smell my heart. So that's amazing. Right there, there's this really cool form that it's right in the soil, ready to germinate. This thing's been sitting there for probably 40, 50 years, just waiting for its time to grow. And it's coming back along with sedges <laughs> and other stuff too. And, uh, you know, we did um, back in Memorial Day weekend, I, we had a really cool weekend. It was like 50 degrees. So I went, did some of my brush management. I wanted, there's this little oak savanna I wanted to personally do myself. The rest we hired out. And I cut a bunch of trees. I came back Halloween weekend. And it's pretty late. Normally we have a killing frost in October. We're not getting a killing frost like late November, which is fine. That's good for late planting of food plants, right? But the amount of brows that came up, like evening primrose and um, some solitude sunflowers, the deer were hitting that really hard. And they're surrounded by corn, beans, alfalfa, acorns, and uh, my food plots, neighboring food plots. And seeing already how hard they hit that was really encouraging. So reach out, you know, not just to me, we got other great resources area too, because um, they know way more than I do. But that was such a cool opportunity I learned about. And I was so excited to know this is a huge bonus. I mean, imagine if you're timber and maybe, you know, if we had a killing frost, maybe those forms would go under. I don't know. But if your timber was well-balanced, it has nice green lush forbs instead of brown and dead, which it was really cool because where the forbs were at, it was green still, where I didn't cut out nothing but leaf litter, brown cedar trees, nothing. It was just death, you know. That'd be such a huge draw for your whitetail and other wildlife habitats. So it is... It, it's scary because you're we cut down 20 acre cedar trees. Everyone thinks that like we talked earlier, cedar trees are the thing. Deer need cedar trees like at eastern red cedar, not the way they are here. And the benefit I've seen already has been huge. So I just want to encourage folks, especially in this area, give it a shot, try it, cut a few acres. Want me to come out and talk about it, no more happy to. My friend Kevin's available too. So uh I that's why I want to share it because it was really encouraging and it told me like we're doing the right thing. So awesome story. Awesome story. God works in mysterious ways. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, I think that's a great story, Jesse. So uh, I just want to thank you for coming on. Um, thanks for having us on your show earlier. And uh, we will be hearing more from you, whether it's on the podcast, whether it's on our, our blog articles. Jesse's writing for that. Um, excited to unpeel more layers of this onion, buddy. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks again for having me, guys. Really appreciate it.